Welcome back to another episode of the Elite Body and Performance Podcast. And today we are joined by a Martin, who is a breath science specialist um, and has some really interesting um, content that I thought it'd be amazing just to kind of delve into a little bit more and understand a little bit more about the world of breath science and stress, so on and so forth. So we brought Martin onto the podcast to share his expertise. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Maurice. Uh, excited to have a bit of chat with you. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So before we take a deep dive into this, dude, it'd be great for you to just tell our listeners just a little bit more about you, a little bit about your story. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess my journey into into the breath started in 2009 when I was uh, in an exercise physiology lab doing my, ma- my, my bachelor's degree. And we were just testing how strong the respiratory muscles were. So the diaphragm and intercostal muscles. And when the test came around to me, it was just a hand portable thing. I happened to to uh, essentially pull a number that was three times stronger than the average individual. And the professor said, hey, look, I've never ever seen it that high before. Can you do it again? And I repeated it like three times. And it was a bit peculiar. So they pulled me into a lab and did a load of tests on me. And I just smashed them all out of the water. And they're like, we've never seen this before. So obviously that got me really interested in yeah. you know, uh, respiratory physiology. That led into doing a master's of research in there and then going in to do a, a, a whole training program on respiratory and sleep science in the uh, National School of Healthcare Scientists in the NHS over in the UK, oh. where you are. And Australia in 2016, I've always wanted to live in Australia and moved here. So I'm, I've oh, been here wow. now for uh, seven years. Beautiful. Spent my whole career, a decade as a respiratory and sleep scientist, and then I pretty much just noticed that the majority of the individuals that I was seeing, their problems were related to stress rather than kind of disease. Yeah, of course. So I started Performance Through Health in 2018. And obviously 2019, um, COVID hit and stress went through the roof. Breathing issues went through the roof. Sleep issues went through the roof. And there are three key areas that I work in my coaching, breathing, stress, and sleep. So, you know, my... I was like, here's an opportunity for me to, to really push online. So I quit my job, traveled the world with my partner and built an online business. Amazing. And now I'm training professionals in what I do. So it's amazing. just gone. Yeah, of yeah. course, gone from zero to 100. Yeah, it's been an amazing journey. Awesome. Uh, no, I love what I do. And uh, yeah, so that's 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 the the short, the short journey to, yeah. towards where I'm doing now. Absolutely, dude, that is awesome, and I'm sure we, well, we're going to delve into the the science and the fun stuff in a moment, but what part of Australia do we live in? I'm in Western Australia, so I'm in Perth. Oh, beautiful. I, do you know what? Australia is just one place I've always wanted to travel to, but I feel like it's one of those you've got to go for at least three, four weeks, yeah. as opposed to, you know, you're know, you not going to travel 24 hours just to pop over for a, for a weekend, right? <laughs> No, no. Although I have, had, I did have a friend do that when I first got here. I had someone who came over for a week. They flew in, they landed, and then they flew straight back to work, like literally a day. And <laughs> I was like, "You're on the plane than you crazy. are in the bloody country." <laughs> no, dude, that's really, really interesting. And I want to kind of take it back a little bit to when you was working in the lab, right? And you kind yeah. of, what was that initial kind of response when they kind of said to you, "Look, your results here are abnormal." This isn't normal. We don't see this too often. What was your initial thoughts? Was it like, I'm, I'm superhuman? Is it, you know, I'm mm, not surprised about yeah. that ground of sport? You know, is there anything in particular that kind of, you know, stood out at that moment? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I could think of is is I was and always have been very kind of athletic and, uh, you know, strong. But my, my, my dad was a, a powerlifter and a bodybuilder sort of kind of combo sort of thing. And he said to me, 
uh, if you want to put weight on, because I did, because I wanted to play rugby kind of full time while I was at university, he goes, you just need to squat, bench press and deadlift like every single, like three times a week, like yeah, go yeah. heavy three times a week and you'll start and, and make sure you eat, you know, traditional old school kind of thinking. Yeah. <laughs> so I, so I just did that. And like, I, um, I was, I was pretty ridiculous in terms of, I would tell my, my uh my my course mates just like give me a number between 300 and 500 and like that's how many reps i had to complete like with my squats and my yeah. my bench press and deadlifts and stuff like that and you must have some good uh, numbers <laughs> yeah i mean looking probably thinking back now when i'm 19 years old 20 years old the form would have been terrible and it would have been no well, technique but <laughs> <laughs> we've <all been> there. <laughs> yeah exactly but I, I, I think it's down to two things. Like, well, I guess, like at the time, potentially the the amount of pressure that you put on in your forex when you're doing heavy squatting yeah. can lead potentially could lead to increasing the diaphragm strength because of that. You know, that's that pressure when you deep in there, especially if you're bracing properly. And I think um, also when I was born, I was born blue with my cord around my neck when I was you know, literally wow. a baby. I nearly died. Oh, wow. So I'm wondering whether there's some kind of uh, physiological response that happened yeah. at a very young age that became an adaptive thing. And it's just because I, my lungs are 20% larger than it should be for my age as well. Okay. So I can hold my breath for like three, three and a half minutes, like easy wow. without any training. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I've That's held, incredible. Held my breath, with, with six weeks of training, I managed to get to five and a half minutes. So there's something, something's happened. It's just genetically, uh, I haven't tested my dad or my brother or anything like that, but yeah, I probably yeah. should do one day and see. That's interesting. That's really, it'd be like Poseidon. No, very interesting indeed. I'm quite, quite curious to be fair when it comes to your diaphragm and, you know, almost looking at like how, how people respond differently. Do you feel like people in different countries, maybe of a higher altitude, would they have a difference in strength? with their respiratory system, diaphragm, so on and so forth? Or do you think it more so can kind of fall back just there, maybe genetics or whatever it may mm. be in that direction as well? I mean, definitely with altitude, you're going to see individuals who are living at altitude having higher levels of yeah. erythropoietin in the body and higher levels of um, uh, hematocrit and red blood cells. So they're going to be able to take on more oxygen. Now, would they have greater strength in the diaphragm? maybe not strength perhaps endurance yeah, yeah perhaps yeah. the diaphragm the i guess the muscle fibers in the diaphragm might be a bit different based on just living at a, a different altitude Absolutely. and um but they were probably they're probably because i mean it depends whether you're if you're native to an altitude country i think it would just be genetically you would just have yeah. already uh uh you know a, a better adaptive <laughs> physiology than you would if you were if you were to go there now if you were to go there then, and you will start to be challenged with your breathing, then maybe you would start to see adaptation with your diaphragm. Yeah. Whether that, again, that strength, I'm not sure. I think it'd be yeah. endurance. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, you see a lot of like athletes and, and football teams or even, you know, sprinters training for, for, for the Olympics, for instance, and they often do go mm. to places that are of a higher altitude to then mm. develop that endurance a little bit more. So that's kind of where the interest sparked. And I would love to know your thoughts. So I've got my thoughts on it. Did you know those... um those masks that people wear that almost make you look a little yeah. bit like Bane and they say this is you yeah. know meant to you know be a higher altitude you know salad training what's your thoughts mm. on those doesn't stimulate altitude not at all of course but that's not to say there isn't a benefit yeah yeah now the benefit of wearing a mask is is that it's gonna 
it's going to create a, a, a more challenging stimulus to breathe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's because of resistance. Now, are these mass strong enough to build strength? I don't think so. But I do believe that you're going to get pooling of carbon dioxide. And that's going to allow you to start to train to get used to the feeling of air hunger. Yeah, that's exactly Yeah, it. And that feeling of air hunger is, is one of the most powerful stimuluses to cause an emotional reaction. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you can hold, you hold your breath, what do you do? Well, you start to panic. Absolutely. And I mean, I remember when I was a little bit younger, I mean, the listeners to our podcast are generally in two categories. It's high performing career driven, you know, managers, execs and business owners. And then the other half is athletes. Um, just because mm. that's kind of like the two categories that I'm usually in. And it's usually what we attract to our podcast. And I remember um, when I was a little bit younger, I always wanted to be a professional football player. And it was it was my everything. And I had one of those masks. And um, I've done a lot of research on myself. And, it, you know, from the, the perspective of altitude, I, I weren't brought in. But as you just touched on there was the perfect description of air hunger. Like I would mm. al almost remember games I used to play on the left wing. I still do. And I remember after every like big, heavy sprint or that kind of period, like two, three minute period of the game where you're just running, running, running. And you almost sit yeah. there for 30, 40 seconds just trying to catch your breath and your air hunger's through the roof. And I used to look at, right, if I wear this mask and run, I'm kind of conditioning myself to that response. So when I have it during a game, it's not so abnormal to me. Because where mm -hmm. it was so abnormal, you're almost gasping for air and you kind of can't control it as well as you should. Slow down your breathing mm -hmm. in through the nose, out through the mouth, all of that kind of stuff if, if I'm on the right lines there. Um, so kind of looking at that air hunger was, I suppose, potentially a placebo effect, I think for me as mm -hmm. well, just because I think, right, I feel like I've done this before. I went for a run with the mask. I can deal with it now as well. So the placebo maybe supported me there as well. But no, I completely uh, appreciate that with the, with the air hunger. And I'd like to pivot into the idea of the breath science. So just in so many words for those listening, what is breath science? It's just understanding, I guess, the, the science of respiration and breathing and how we can apply that for improving wellness, improving performance, improving mental health. Like yeah. There is all different ways that we can tap into things like we just talked about, exposure to high levels of air hunger. Yeah, yeah. If we have someone who's been conditioned to that and therefore they have anxiety and panic attacks, or perhaps we can discuss the con concepts of nasal breathing versus mouth breathing and using breath holds to stimulate drops in oxygen and increases in carbon dioxide. So it's just understanding the physiology, how the breath itself interacts with, it's, it's, a, it's essentially the center. The breath is at the center of, modulating the autonomic nervous system the hormonal system and the immune system absolutely yeah and those three things together are what create emotional experiences now yeah. the breath itself is at the very very center so it's the ceo of all our experience of our life but it's also the ceo of how it distributes information physiologically to to the cells to the genetics yeah absolutely. through learning so you know, just for for an example, you 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 wear a mask. You know, if you wear a mask, you don't need to, you don't have to wear a mask to do air hunger training. You can just kind of control your breath and do nasal breathing and breath holds. But if you're wearing a mask and you're, you know, you start doing training with it, and you all of a sudden start having a you know an anxiety attack or panic because it's too much, you're just going to learn anxiety and panic from that moment. But if you're able to stay calm and relaxed in that situation, you're going to learn calm and relaxation because air hunger and changes in carbon dioxide and how the breath actually controls cements 
kind of uh, 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 psychology into our body and vice versa. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's just an array of just different information uh, around breathing that we can utilize. And I think you touched on it really well there. It was like when you do have panic attacks, anxiety attacks, you know, the, the most common feedback is breathe right? Slow mm. down and breathe. Mm. And I think, you know, mm. it's it's probably something that's so underrated as a solution to many times mm. that, you know, and it's the same kind of way when you run into a super stressful scenario at work and your stress is through the absolute roof or you wake up in the night, at, you know, with cold sweats, the likelihood is mm-hmm. the first thing that you want to do is actually control that breathing. So yeah, no, absolutely, dude. And something you touched on there that really interested me was the difference between nasal mouth breathing. What mm. kind of, you know, what scenarios would we utilize one or the other? Or what's the difference, you know, for, for those listening, they're probably thinking, right, I'm getting air into the body. What's the difference between nasal breathing and mouth breathing? So what for, for those listening, what could we kind of look at and how can we utilize the difference between the two? I guess you, you got to really start of like anatomical function of the difference between the nose and the mouth. You, know, you, you just took a drink. You wouldn't pour a drink into your nose. You choke. <laughs> yeah. And yet we breathe, we brew through our mouth and we don't really consider whether mouth breathing is conceptually correct or the evolutionary way to do it. There's, there's nothing in our mouth that has evolved to assist with creating better breathing or better respiration. Whereas our nose itself, it's lined with ciliated hairs to protect our airways. It has sinuses in it to produce nitric oxide so that when the air comes through, the air goes into the lungs and it widens the blood vessels where the where the air touches so we get greater gas exchange it's got turbinates in there to slow down or increase and humidify the air there are just three things that we're talking about you know we've got the olfactory system with the nose which entrains our brain waves with in accordance with the actual flow of our breath itself the mouth doesn't do that at all Absolutely. That's really, yeah. really interesting. It's quite funny. When you were just describing it, I was actually just really consciously breathing through my nose. Um, mm. No, absolutely, dude. And I think it makes complete sense, right? And I think, you know, if I think back to every time that I have been in a scenario where I'm thinking, right, I need to kind of control my 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 state, if you will, or if it's in a football game, for instance, every time it's like almost like I resort back to the foundation is nasal breathing. And it's just mm. kind of like a second nature, right? It's just, if I need to peel back and, and just breathe, it's always nasal breathing. And if that's what, as a human being, without kind of being conditioned to do, so I just naturally fall back to, it's probably for a reason, right? It's probably because that's a little bit more effective for us. So that's really interesting indeed. And how do you feel like not just nasal breathing, but breathing in in, in whole could relate to stress? So when somebody is in a stressful scenario, hit with a, a stressful situation, how could they utilize breathing and what kind of techniques would you recommend that can help them control their stress? Okay. So let's just think about the stress response to begin with, and then we can kind of reverse engineer that and see how we can kind of use the breath for it. So yeah, yeah, let's, let's say someone all of a sudden comes running into your room that you're not aware of. Yeah. They start running around and then they run off out again. What's going to happen to you? Yeah. Well, your breath rate (laughs) is going to start to increase. You're going to crap yourself. You know, your heart rate is going to increase. Now, there's a very specific thing that happens to your breath. You start to inhale longer than you exhale. Okay. Okay. So all of a sudden, what you might start finding is that you start finding that you might start breathing a bit more into your upper chest because the breath rises up into that period. You might even be starting to panic with your mouth open and the breath goes shallow and fast. 
Now that's to help initiate the stress response so that you can fight or flight and get out. Yeah. Yeah. It's to prepare your body to be able to get more air in, yeah. but also to speed up the nervous system into a sympathetic response. Interesting. Okay. So now knowing that in a stressful situation, well, what do we need to do? Well, we need to breathe nasally. We need to breathe gently. We need to breathe slowly. We need to extend our exhale because an exhale lengthening will produce more parasympathetic nervous activity. And we can break that down if you want to. And we want to make sure that we're breathing kind of expansively. So if you just sit up for me right now, yeah, yeah and just take a deep breath in through your nose and just close your eyes. Okay, and just put your hand on your belly and just try and breathe just slowly in through your nose, into that belly for three, two, one, and just control the exhale slowly for six, five, four, three, two, one. Breathe in again for three, two, one, and just see if you can just feel your heart slowing on the exhale, slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. Yeah? So when you exhale, it switches on that parasympathetic nervous activity. So it brings down the heart rate. Yeah, of course. It's into rest or digest. So we can just kind of, in those stress moments, we can change the experience we're actually having by just using that as a simple tool. That's really interesting. For those listening, if you haven't just followed along, go back 30 seconds and just do it. Because I mean, I feel a little bit more relaxed already. <laughs> yeah, I actually, do that um, for three, yeah. three to five minutes. And you can do that in a boardroom, yeah? No one knows you're doing it. It's a magical power that you have. Maybe you're about to give a speech and you kind of feel yourself yeah, yeah. getting a little bit nervous. Just start prolonging the exhales and slowing the breath down slightly. And you'll just notice the heart will just start to slow down. You feel a lot more grounded and more present. Absolutely. So with that, like I know a lot of people that might do public speaking, for instance, and they often get like a dry mouth because nerves and, and, and so forth. And, you know, they don't have as much saliva. Do you feel like breathing and controlling your breathing can then help that response of, for instance, like a dry mouth as just an example. Yeah. Well, we get a dry mouth because we go into a sympathetic response. Yeah, absolutely. And that causes the saliva in our mouth to drive to, to decrease because we shut off digestion in the sympathetic response. Yeah. Where in yeah. a parasympathetic response, we increase digestion and we get more saliva produced. Absolutely. So when we so so that is a that is a sign. That is a sign. Like if 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 a behavioral scientist I've studied a little bit of behavioral science. If, if they were observing someone to try and monitor whether they were stressed or not from visualization, you can kind of see if they start to get dry lips and dry mouth. It yeah. shows heightened levels of arousal, heightened levels of stress. Yeah. So, yeah, slowing your breath down and putting yourself into a parasympathetic state is going to prevent you from getting that kind of chewy mouth where you kind of can't get yeah, your absolutely. words out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting you say that because um, not too long ago, we had a trauma specialist uh, by the name of Annie Yutch on the podcast. And she was referring back to this very similar to yourself, uh, breath work, when um, they were kind of looking at dealing with trauma. So a lot of it, like she, so she works with a lot of um, very, very high level elite entrepreneurs and CEOs. And she was saying that a lot of the time, obviously they, they would go as a drama specialist, they'll go based around like work experiences. And the first place they'll go to is breath. And a lot of those people would do public speaking because um, I listened to her the first time it was in Vegas at a business mastermind. And we had to do a breath exercise whilst we were just kind of, you know, listening listen to the talk. And straight away, you just go into this state of just, relaxation and you just feel calm and I can see how that can relate to public speaking because I do some public speaking as well and I can see how that can relate going on stage for instance and talking so I think that's definitely something that I'm gonna 
try try and utilize as well and for those listening as well i think some, something that could be super helpful is when we're looking at breath in relation to sleep is there any exercises in particular that you would highly recommend to do prior to bed to then get better quality of sleep yeah i mean i think it's uh, number one for getting better quality sleep you want to make sure that you're building a down regulation practice into your routine so what do i mean that by down regulation it's again similar to what we've just talked about you want to be nasal, gentle. We want to be prolonging the exhales. And we want to ensure that we're breathing deeper into the kind of rib cage and get an expansion. One of the first things that I do when I'm working with people is a 10 minute practice before bed. You know, and they have to, over the time period that I'm working with them, they have to build that up to 20 minutes. And just that alone is enough to drop, drop people's stress by 20, 25%, sometimes even 40% for some people, just because the accumulation it has on improving their sleep quality absolutely that can that that can have so that's a very beneficial thing i think we also have to be mindful of um mouth breathing and nasal breathing in sleep as well we know that mouth breathing during sleep can be uh maybe contribute to to poor sleep quality and contribute to things like snoring so you know learning to develop the capacity to nasal breathe during exercise is going to assist then in learning to be able to keep your mouth closed at nighttime. Yeah. yeah. Now there's a a few people out there who will talk about taping your mouth up. Now as a generalized statement, I don't really personalize that for everyone. I'll say that for everyone. I think if you're fit, you're healthy, you have no signs of um, chronic disease or, or obesity, then we probably can put a little bit of tape over the mouth just to remind us that we are, um, uh, want to keep our mouth closed and that can improve people's sleep quality as well. So there's a few little things that you can do there. Something that I found works for me very well is nasal strips. It's just yeah. popping a nasal strip on, just open up my my nasal airway. And I find for me, it makes a big, big difference. I think mm. down to two reasons. A, the science behind it backs it, of course. But B, also again, placebo effect. A lot of the times if I don't wear my nasal strip, it's the same with like, uh, I have an aura ring to track my sleep. Oftentimes, if I wake up in the morning and I look at my my um my app for my sleep, I go, oh god, my aura ring says I don't have enough sleep. I feel tired automatically, right? It's not because I necessarily am. It's because my aura ring told me. But I kind of feel the same way with nasal strip. I feel it on. I feel like right, I'm prepped. I'm prepped to go to sleep now. So I think even from that perspective of breath work, like you say, like there's obviously the science that backs it. But there's also right. I've done the right work before I go to sleep. That kind of placebo effects can help me get into that. Mm sleep state a little bit a little bit faster and would you recommend when people are doing this to almost take an, a, an approach almost similar to meditation where they're not distracted not like doing breath work as they're watching netflix for instance do you think this has to be completely present if you will i think to get the most value from it then you make it a practice because like the the nature of meditation is just meditation but breath can also be a meditation because yeah, yeah. you're you know you you're still going to get your eyes closed you're still going to get the thoughts that come up and you're still going to be able to get to to choose to just let them pass and, and and disappear but it's like embodying the experience and actually feeling it yeah. and even like getting yourself to connect with your heart when you do it has profound effects on stress and anxiety in fact one of the uh one of the most powerful things that we can do to improve our relationship with anxiety is have a good relationship with our heart beating and how accurate we can predict that our heart's beating through feeling it okay yeah yeah of course. so you know often when i'm teaching people 
about these breath science things now i'm talking about how we can expose ourselves to certain feelings in our body now someone who's anxious doesn't like to feel the sensation of that heart or doesn't like to feel the sensation of the breathing because it makes them more anxious but if we can expose themselves to that in a calm and grounded manner they can build a better relationship with it so that when they do feel a little bit of stress coming on it doesn't just trigger the anxiety they're like okay now i notice it's there maybe I can control it more because it's building a relationship with your own physiology. Absolutely. And it makes complete sense. And just, I think it's just awareness, isn't it? Just being aware. Yeah. And I think just that. That's the the, hundle, the, the the biggest thing with anything with, with breathing is, is awareness. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's just, that's the, that's the, the foundation of the biggest skill that you can learn is Absolutely. to be self-aware and the breath makes you self-aware. Of course. And I think, you know, thing that i've experienced i mean i i admit i need to do it a hell of a lot more than i do but every time that i almost find that i try to focus on my breath work i also build so much more presence so Mm. much more presence so i often find Mm. and i don't know if there's any specific science that backs it but if i'm ever procrastinating uh, you know if i if i'm sitting at my desk sitting in my office i'm ever procrastinating oftentimes i would kind of put my phone on the side and just kind of focus on breath work and not necessarily needing to 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 write a hundred pages or build a funnel, right? Sometimes it's just sit there, breathe, relax, and I can kind of build a little bit more presence. And I oftentimes find that that helps me to then get back into a bit more, not necessarily flow state, but build my way towards flow state again. Is there anything yeah. that backs that in particular, or is it just presence just kind of gets? Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, the number one key thing is you can't focus on your breath and not be present. That's impossible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know, you can't focus on you can't focus on one thing and not be present because that's yeah, just the, the concept of being present, right? But um, if we think about the relationship of stress and the ability to focus, there is a sweet spot. It's an in, inverted U, and that flow state is in the middle. Yeah. So often people who are procrastinating, they're probably they're either bored, and I'm not going to say that's you because you you've obviously got a pretty stimulating life with your own business and what you do. But for the likes of you, you and myself, or entrepreneurs or, or no executives who have lots to do they might just be feeling a little bit too overwhelmed with the amount of amount that's happening so they're pushing themselves to the point where the focus they're on the focus level starts to come back down again the curve starts to come down because stress is a little bit too high because the amount they have to do yeah. so then if you regulate that stress you can bring yourself back down in that arousal state so you get back into the ability to focus again yeah sure i think that's huge i think that's absolutely massive and it makes complete sense like you say for the high performers that are listening it's almost like that to-do list is never ending and you almost get so mm-hmm. think i've got so much to do i get so overwhelmed none of it gets done so i think you know like you said just kind of bringing yourself back into flow state by controlling stress is is massive and something i saw that that really interests me that i'd love to get your take on is this kind of idea behind hypnosis versus medication what's mm. your thoughts yeah there? yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is a, uh, there's, there's been a few few studies done on it, but there's a particular study, and I can't, and I can't remember the reference, but they, they looked in, in college students that were sitting their exams, and they looked at individuals who had performance anxiety around, uh, around exams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think they gave one group one milligram of olprolazone, so just an anti, anti-anxiety medication, and one group was four weeks of hypnosis. And they found the results at the end to be the same. So there were the hypnosis was just as effective. Yeah. All right. And hypnosis in the past and still today is still kind of a bit woo woo. Yeah. But yeah. there is so much evidence out there now that clinical hypnosis is very very powerful for Absolutely. for a lot of for a lot of things. A lot of uh, you know it's just it's just heightened focus 
with elevated response to social cues. Yeah. So yeah. we are always being hypnotized. Yeah. Absolutely. So right now, at right now, the information that I'm passing to you that you don't know that you're learning from me is me transferring that information to you through suggestion. Yeah. That's hypnotism. Absolutely. Yeah? It's just yeah. information. It's just passing of information. It's almost like you know the word hypnosis has been blown up in the media so when people think of hypnosis they think i'm going under a trance you're going to make me twirl around jump up and down and click my fingers yeah stage hypnosis right absolutely i think there's a difference between comedy hypnosis and kind of actual clinical hypnosis (laughs) where we're actually just getting people to relax and just really pay attention to what someone's saying and just allowing them to, to kind of embody those thoughts in a really really calm situation yeah. But to, we also put people in a bit of a dissociative state so we can see things from a different angle, maybe, or experience sensations differently. Absolutely. And then we can play around with those sensations, like the anxiety sensations. Oh, okay. Right. It's just a fast heart rate, or it's a little bit of a buzz in my stomach. Absolutely. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the end of the world. And we can start to unravel that. And I think it's like the, um, the kind of the world and the science behind persuasion oftentimes comes back yeah. to a degree of hypnosis right and it's not like exactly. and, and, and it's clinical hypnosis it's not like you know this like you say woo woo because it is blown up in the media it's like the same as like the term genius for instance people go right this is blown up in the media but a genius is someone of a certain iq right and it's it, it's out there people have that so i think you know this it, it's a shame as well because so many of these terms do get absolutely blown up in the media and it kind of changes our perception on said term. And that's why I think it's important mm-hmm. to speak with people like yourself, who's got the science and, and the, the the backing of what these traditional terms actually refer to, to kind of remind people what they actually are, as opposed to what Chinese whispers has created said term to, to become, right? So that's really, really interesting indeed. And kind of coming towards the back end of this podcast as well, something that I love to touch on is the five stages of burnout here as well. So what are the five stages of burnout? I mean, I can, I can explain these given my own personal experience, really. Even better. Uh, when I, yeah, when, when, when I trained as a respiratory and sleep scientist, you come out graduated and you come out of the training and you, you've got this enthusiasm, right? So the first stage is that you always go into your first job or your first role really enthusiastic. And that sticks around for a fair while. Now, what can happen is, is that people will start to work relentlessly to try and move up the ranks to get more promotions, to get more money, to um, to feel good about themselves. Yeah. yeah. Now, I personally believe that people that get burnt out are people that are working out of fear rather than out of kind of passion and love. Of course. So the next phase is like, okay, well, I've got all this enthusiasm, but I'm not getting the reward or I'm not getting, I'm not moving fast enough. Or I'm not getting paid as much or there's too much workload. So you start to get this, the frustration. That's the second phase. Yeah. So then you go through a period where you're just feeling frustrated, but you still want to impress. So you kind of just, you don't talk about it. You push it down. You don't really mention much. You might even just kind of push your values away and work even harder and lose your social life and start to focus on everything just other than work. And then it becomes chronic stress. Right. Okay. And then the chronic stress starts to show insomnia, anxiety, issues such as maybe feeling tired all the time a little bit of exhaustion yeah yeah. the next step then is no is apathy that is just disconnect yeah so the reason the reason you got into the job me wanted to work in a clinical role was to help people 
But by the time I was in apathy was, okay, well, you're just a number that's paying my company. I just want to see how many numbers I can get through the door because yeah, that's yeah. what looks good on me. Absolutely. And I started to lose that connection. Yeah. And then you start to kind of, uh, you know, you get to the apathy stage uh, and you just kind of push things away. Like you, you don't connect to people as much. You're starting to maybe even be uh, segregate yourself from people, maybe yeah. a little bit of depression. And that's then showing signs of burnout. It's very hard clinically to distinguish between depression and burnout. Right. And I think that's where it's so important to refer back to awareness. When you're on this kind of ladder, if you will, of the five steps, oftentimes we wait for trauma to make change. So oftentimes we wait mm -hmm. for the the final stages of four and five to then go, oh, maybe I should maybe try and sort this out or nip this in the butt. So I think even for those listening, I think there's probably more people are sitting around that stage without even realizing, right? They yes. kind of completely disconnected themselves, but they don't realize it. Like they just so in their zone or so locked into their routine and their day to day that they don't even know that they are in this zone, but they are. So for mm. those people who are trying to, I guess, almost go, right, how can I distinguish where am I on this, on this spectrum, right? Am I at stage one, two, three, am I in a good place? Or am I on stage four and five and I'm completely disconnected? What signs or things could they look out for to then go, okay, am I too far along? I now need to then bring myself back down that ladder again. Yeah, I mean, I think um, one of the main things is going to be sleep disturbances or, or issues yeah. being able to get to sleep or having the belief system that you only need five hours sleep, but then getting through the day on willpower. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. That, that that has become a coping mechanism of of high levels of stress and you've re, re, you've kind of disconnected from your bodies people um even just if you are if you're a, a small thing that people can do is just kind of close their eyes and just see whether they can actually feel their heart beating or just notice sensations in their body and if they really struggle to and they spend a few minutes doing it if they really struggle to that means that you are become disconnected from your body and you yeah. you're in your mind too much you're too cognitive there is a big scientific thing we can go down but it, it you know it take a little while to talk through it but there is a reason why that we're on the nervous sure. system um but then it's going to be like you know, appetite changes uh rapid gait uh, weight gain or, or yeah. weight loss mm -hmm. Uh, there's going to be issues related to uh, ADHD and ADD and attention deficit disorders are going to going to be problems that people might have. But generally, I think if that you are going through the day, getting you, all your tasks done on willpower alone, rather than enthusiasm exactly. and feeling energetically and actually feeling recovered, yeah. then that's a sign. Yeah. And I think what you touched on there is it, it, the foundation of everything can refer, refer back to sleep, you know, sleeping five hours and just relying on willpower is it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's almost like it's glorified these days, right? Like the Kobe mm -hmm. Bryant's, I don't, I don't sleep. So I, I must be working hard. And it's almost like we pat ourselves on the back for sleeping less. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, if we were to look at this from more of an intelligent approach and actually optimize and maximize our sleep, things like what we mentioned when you're sitting around four or five, you're completely disconnected and three hours work takes you an entire day. How productive are we now being? And if for, for the listeners that are high performers that are trying to progress in career, it's, I like to, the, the term I like is short-term thinking equals short-term results. If you sleep five hours and in the short term, the next day you get lots of done because you have more hours in a day, maybe you will. But then what's going to happen three, four, five, six, seven, eight days afterwards when your productivity is hitting all time low, 
because now you're getting caught up with the lack of sleep, right? So I think looking at that for those listening as well, the the foundation of everything is sleep, right? So I think yeah. you know, it's, it's something that's really important to look at to kind of, do you think sleep alone could almost, I say alone, but to a degree, do you think sleep can be one of the biggest, I'm going to use the word medication, right? Do you think mm. sleep can be one of the biggest drugs and miracle cures and medications for bringing yourself down from stage five to, to four, three, two, one? hundred percent. It's the first thing that I do is that it's the most prioritized task that I do when I work with someone burnout. It's like, okay, well, you know, you're coming to me because you're burnt out and lacking energy and you're anxious and you can't work. And you're telling me you're only getting six hours sleep or even you're saying you got seven hours sleep. So you think you've got enough mm-hmm. that needs to go up to nine hours sleep for at least two or three weeks yeah. until you notice a little bit more energy. And then we can start scaling that back again. Uh, sleep extension protocols, naps, uh, non-sleep deep breath protocols, such as yoga need or hypnosis or all those yeah. things yeah. that are going to get us into this biological restorative state. They all need to go up. Absolutely. For, Absolutely. for a period of time until we know that okay, the nervous system is starting to get the rest again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll know that from just, okay, well, just, all right, I just feel more energetic. I just, this, a noticeable change in uh, someone's feeling state. Just, okay, right. I have more motivation. I can concentrate. I can, I can, I can withstand the sugary foods and the junk food. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think for those listening to this and right now, I think a, a productive task to do either as you're listening to this podcast or just afterwards is to take a little bit of a personal audit and kind of consider, do I feel connected on a day-to-day basis going across those five kind of stages? Am I sleeping enough? And most importantly, beyond that is my quality of sleep high. Because it's all well and good being in the bed for 10, 9, 10 hours. But if our sleep quality is only giving us four or five or we're getting no REM sleep and so on and so forth, is it really going to be as productive as we like? So I think auditing those and also our presence within breath, right? You know, are we kind of responding to stressful situations and adding fuel to the fire? Or are we peeling back, breathing, relaxing, nasal breathing, and and kind of using the tips and tricks that we've discussed over these last 35 minutes? So I think those who are listening to take away some practical advice, run through that audit of those four questions. And I think that will really, really highlight areas that you can work on that can be such a small thing, like an extra hour of sleep, but can make such a monumental difference. Would you agree? Or is there anything you think they should add to that? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think I, I, I agree there's... Um... The three key things I would say was sleep, nervous system regulation, and breathing. Now, they're the first things that we need to, to look at. And that involves extending your sleep for a period of time. Like you say, adding an hour on if, if you need to, but making sure it's good quality sleep. Now, I don't mind if it takes you a little while to get up in the morning, as long as you're resting for a little bit longer. In fact, maybe even stick a meditative st- uh, tape on. If you if you get up at six and you want to kind of stay in bed to seven, get something that's going to be a meditation that's going to calm your body down because that is putting you into a deep rest state, which is parasympathetic, which is restorative to the mitochondria and all the uh, physiology and nervous system and hormonal systems, immune systems, et cetera, et cetera. Then, yeah, just check in with your breathing day to day. Yeah. Are you, is your mouth coming open? If it is, close your mouth. Slow your breathing down from time to time. If you have an emotional experience, how long does that emotional experience last? It should be minutes. Yeah, if it just can, continues to go on for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or you're holding onto a grudge for the whole of the day, that's a sign 
as well and therefore check in with your breathing slowly breathing down and just allow yourself just to process that emotion dude absolutely that was so so valuable for those listening where could they learn find out a little bit more about yourself through social media yeah so they can find my company is performance through health you know the name is on the tin really health <laughs> first perform, perform for the rest of your life so you can find performancethroughhealth.com uh, if you're an individual who's struggling with burnout or stress. Now, if you're a coach and you're a practitioner, um, I do do a, a certification six-month mentorship training people on how to work with executives and athletes using breath science, recovery, cold exposure, and and even sleep. So that's www.breathscience.com.au. Amazing. I will put those links into the show notes as well. So if you are somebody struggling with burnout or if you're a coach or practitioner looking to further your education in this field, if you look at the show notes, those links will be right there. So thank you so much for your time today. That was absolutely valuable. And we'll see everyone in the next episode. Thank you, Reese. Take care.